Welcome to Chasing Nichols with your host, Alan Schoenberger. Chasing Nichols is the podcast that helps business owners focus on actions that will have the greatest impact on their business. Now, here's your host, Alan Schoenberger. Welcome everyone to Chasing Nichols. I'm your host, Alan Schoenberger. And today my guest is Kyle Griffith, a partner at the NYBB Group, a mergers and acquisition company focusing on small to medium-sized business owners. Kyle is a certified business intermediary as well as a certified mergers and acquisition advisor. Welcome to the program, Kyle. Thank you, Alan. I appreciate the opportunity to sit down with you. Uh, I definitely admire your work and your expertise, especially in the financial services exit plan arena. So um, always want to chop it up and talk about what's happening in the market. So I appreciate the opportunity to connect with you and your audience. Great. I'm I'm excited as well to speak with you. Uh, So while many of the listeners today may not be ready to sell in the near future, you know, my motto is business owners should be operating their business every day as if it were for sale. And there's several reasons and benefits to that. One of them being when they are ready to sell, hopefully that's going to shorten the time frame uh, for the, the sales cycle, but also while they're operating the business, if they do all the things right that they should be doing, hopefully their business is going to generate more revenue and profit while they're operating the business. So I know there's some statistics out there on how many small businesses are unsuccessful in selling. And I've seen statistics as high as 80%. I want our listeners to be in that 20%, right? I want them to be successful when it comes time to sell their business. Uh, So maybe you can share with us what you're seeing in the market, as well as some of the major reasons why the business owners that are unsuccessful, why that's so. So it's interesting you mentioned that, right? So those statistics, Alan, that you're referring to, I've seen those as well. And I'm speaking to some of my colleagues. I have some colleagues that sell companies and they share that they sell everything that they list. So they sell every client that comes that comes to them, they sell. And some folks are in that 20%, it's in 12, 20%. And what a lot of your listeners have to understand if they're looking into these these numbers and these this these data, mm-hmm. it just says that some brokers, intermediaries, investment bankers, advisors, they just are more picky with the clients that they take on. So you ask, you know, what are the reasons why businesses don't sell? So there are some advisors, you know, I'm only going to work with sellable companies, really motivated clients, and so on. So the chances are they're going to sell that business is high, but they do work with a, a much um, smaller set of clients. And then you have folks that are uh, working more companies and they have lower ratios. So um, yeah, I just want to give some context on the the data that's out there. Um, But when when I sit down with a client, right, um, there's three things ideally that I like to look at with a company. And these three things identify whether they're going to sell or they're not going to sell. Now, to be fully transparent, which I always am, and I, 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 I am with my clients as well, no one has a true crystal ball. <laughs> uh, I have taken on deals. I'm like, scratch my head, like, Kyle, like, why do you take this on? Like, I don't, you know, the probability, because we look at the probability rate of selling. Right. And um, I've had clients where that I've taken a risk on, like, you know what? Um, the chance of getting this sold is a little bit lower than I would expect. And within months, we get the deal done. 
And there were cases where I was 100% confident that this business is going to sell like within a few months and 12 months after we still have it. So no one, because the market, there's so many different variables in the marketplace. Um, but here's my three rules, okay? When it talks about a business and what's sellable and what's not sellable and what gets deals done, what does get deal done. First thing, you need two parties that are motivated, <laughs> So if you're if you're listening to this and you're in the process of selling your company right now, um, you know how motivated is the buyer? There are some warning signs that you could identify um, as a seller, and you, uh, but ideally, the motivation of the buyer and the motivation of the seller is very, very, very important. You know, one of the questions I ask is, hey, you know, um, after you sell this business, like, what's next for you? Is it a charity? Uh, are you going to support your grandkids? Are you going to um, relocate? You're going to be in full retirement? You know, are you going to, you know, uh, buy a boat, stop playing golf? Like, those are some questions, you know, that you want to ask yourself, right? In most cases, the business is their identity and your identity as a business owner. Um, and sometimes you think, hmm, what I'm going to do next? I've always been known as Dr. Smith. I've always been known as, you know, uh, the number one plumbing supply company in the area. People know me as Mr. Plumber or whatever, plumber supply, whatever the case may be. So. That's not one thing. What is the motivations? And deals fall apart. Number one reason, in my opinion, is that you have two parties that have that are a little bit distracted and not fully fully vested. Um, the other two reasons why businesses fall apart is that the business is not ready for sale. And you know, hopefully, we can have some time to, to dive more into this because this is a, you know, a huge one. Uh, when you break up a business, you have you have operations. You have, you know, sales, lead generation, you know, as far as the marketing efforts, business coming in, and then you have your your financials, right? Your reporting and receivables and, and your books and records and so on. Um, so is your business ready for sale? There are businesses that are that go on the market that are not ready for sale. The seller may be motivated, but the business is not ready. That's number two. Um, the third thing is, and you can have number one, a motivated seller. You can have a motivated buyer. Uh, you have a, a, a clean business. And we can talk about it a little bit later what a clean business looks like, a unicorn or whatever. Um, and you still don't sell the business. And the reason you don't sell the business is because there's no market for your business. <laughs> there's no one looking to buy a business. There's no market activity. There's no prior sales history in your sector. Um, there may be a new regulation. Um, in your space um, that's hampering your business. Um, certain, a lot of this is out of your control sometimes, but ideally if there's no market activity, there's no buyers looking for businesses in your sector, um, your business could be take, could take a much longer time to sell. So those are the three things. Is your business ready? Is the seller ready? And is, is the market ready for your business? No, those, those are great. Uh, so let's take, I guess, those one by one. And that, that first one, you know the the seller maybe possibly not being motivated, and this is something that I deal with uh, uh, in my financial pr- planning practice with both business owners and non-business owners. You know the most common thing that I'm helping them plan for is some form of retirement, which means something different to everyone. And the very first question I ask is, you know, what what does retirement mean to you? Because it's a different answer for everyone, and I know if the client can't articulate what that is, I know that they're not necessarily ready. So if if I'm talking to a business owner and 
you know, what's life going to be like post-sale? And I know they can't uh, really articulate what that is. Uh, then that's going to lead to trouble because they uh, I'm, may- I'm going to steal may, that question, okay? What is your time yes. for you? I'm going to I'm gonna have to take that question. From okay, you. yeah. That's no, that's fine. that's fine. That's fine. That's great. Uh, so, yeah, if they don't know what life's going to be like after retirement or after yeah. they sell, then they may be saying yes to you or to me, uh, but they're, they're not, their heart's not going to be in it. They're not necessarily going to provide you or me the data that we need to help them get to where they need to be, uh, and things are going to fall apart down the road. Is that yeah. a fair assessment? Yeah, you know what? It's, it's really difficult, Alan. You know, when it the the motivations, it takes a while. It's like peeling off an onion. Like you, <laughs> okay. the more the longer you work with a client, you get to learn a little bit more what the true, what the really true motivations are. Sometimes you know it, like you just think retirement. But what, what does retirement mean? What does it mean for you, right? What what does that look like, right? So that's an awesome question. I love that question, Alan. And let's be even digging a little bit even deeper. Right. If you if they start mentioning, hey, by the way, I've actually, you know, put some money down in a home or I've started donating to a charity and certain things like you get the wheels spinning. But if it's, hey, I just want to put my business on the market just to test out the market and and, you know, get a feel for what I can get for the business, um, you know, not really that motivated. But I like you. I like your approach. Right. And I agree. And I think it's, you know, both your role and my role as outside advisors to help them get there if they don't really have a solid idea. You know, you know I, often I'll hear something as generic as, well, like you had said, I'm going to go golfing, I'm going to go boating, or I'm going to sit on a beach. And you know what? That sounds great. But the reality is, after a couple of weeks, that can get a little repetitive and boring. And all of a sudden, uh, and I'm sure you've seen this, uh, a seller six months, 12 months after they have sold their business have some regrets because they really don't have anything in their lives to fulfill them now because they weren't properly prepared by their outside advisors like us yeah. to help them figure out solidly what is life going to be like post-sale. So I, I, can I share a story? I think sure. um, listeners can relate to stories more than just, just talking about stuff, ideally. Yeah. So we were obviously want to protect innocent. You know, one of the reasons why you want to work with an advisor, you know, you maintain confidentiality. So um, not going to be as descriptive as I would like to, but ideally we were working on a transaction this past year for a manufacturing business. And um, we got the seller full offer. Um, the buyer is very, I mean, really motivated. He really wanted to buy the business. How this particular company was set up, it was, it was almost basically turnkey. They had salespeople in place. Um, well, well-run business and their numbers was up. Quite frankly, um, most of our clients' numbers has been up since 20 and 21 and 22. Uh, but in this business, they were they were up at least 20%. Um, so the, the, the seller was making certain requests of the buyer, which the buyer complied with. So he got the price, the buyer already got the financing in place already to, 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 to buy the business. And um, the seller, guess what? Decided to walk. And you can't really make this stuff up. Like you're pretty much getting your price, getting everything you want. He actually wanted some additional money for working capital, which I don't want to get too technical, but ideally, when you're selling your business, you got to leave enough operating money in the in the business so the business continue pay right. for its ongoing operating expenses. So that's always a, a conversation that could be a whole other 
podcast on working capital. But ideally, the buyer actually covered a lot of that, um, and the seller walked away. Now the question is, you know, you're getting what you want. What's the reason? And is it sellers remorse? Like you know, so sometimes you have to have these deeper questions with clients before you get to this point. And now you spend nine months of time, you know, working towards an exit, going through due diligence, having these meetings with buyers, and then you know, uh, it's an emotional roller coaster. There's a lot of strain. Something you, you could avoid that if upfront, if we could figure out, okay, what are the true motivations? Or maybe you don't need to sell the whole company. Maybe you just need to step away, hire a GM, hire someone to run a company, take some chips off the table, maybe sell a portion of the company. So these issues can be addressed beforehand just to alleviate the stress. Because uh, it's very stressful when it comes to selling a company. Agreed. And, and yes, thank you for sharing that story because I agree with you. Uh, listeners tend to resonate with stories better than just us mouthing off. Uh, so I want to move on to your, to your number two because this one's going to be of particular interest to the listeners that may not be at the stage where they're ready to sell, uh, but they're still operating their company. They may be at the startup stage. Uh, and uh, I want our listeners to you know do things right from the get-go. So you said, you know, buyer is, or the business is not ready. And there's a multitude of reasons there. You mentioned some of them operations or finances. Why don't you share some of the top things that you see in the market? So, um, wow. I can go for a big rant here, Alan, but I'm I'm sure I'm trying to compose myself because um, as a small business owner, I mean, if you're not updating your tax, if you tell me, Hey, you know, by the way, I I haven't filed my last two, three, four years taxes. I mean, right. You know, you know that's a problem. You need to get your, your, your house in order. If there's taxes need to be amended, um, you know, you need to consult with a, you know, a tax expert that can help you with your situation. So the, the biggest pet peeve, and I'll tell you this. So uh, we have been doing this almost 20 years now. Uh, we have consulted with over a thousand companies and um, it's funny because I, I, outside of my company, um, I'm also on the board for the International Business Brokers Association, and uh, we have close to 3,000 members. So we do engage with a lot of other brokers in the business. So when I'm sitting on my client, I'm not just giving you my numbers. I'm giving you data and insights and best practices from brokers across the world. Okay. And one of the biggest pet peeves that I'm getting boosted off, so I'm saying this because it, it is something that <laughs> a big challenge is because buyers are just turned off by not having prepared financial statements. Right. Um, whether you're selling your business or not, you need to be up to date on your numbers, um, clean P&Ls. And your P&Ls has to be run by GAP, by general accounting principles. Okay. Right. So um, you don't have one book for this, one book for that. And so if I'm reviewing your company and your financials, I want to make sure that the, the items, the line items in there, corresponds with, we can relate it back to some activity in the business. Everything makes sense. Um, So the biggest one is having clean books, clean financials. And um, a lot of businesses have personal expenses in them. So it's not outside the ordinary to have, you know, some personal expenses. Um, You should not have much, but um, the more add backs in your P&L, it just is another conversation you have to, um, that you have to address with the buyer. It just creates additional flags um, when we say clean financials, meaning that, so when we are getting into the valuation of a company, there are certain expense items that we look at that are maybe non-recurring. So for example, 
right. you had a big fire, you had a flood, and you had to replace all new computers, new carpet. That, I mean, that's like that's something that can be addressed. That's understandable. You're not going to have new computers every year. That's a one-time effect. So we we add that back. Um, you may be you may have a company culture where you have a lot of parties and um, a lot of events and 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 maybe that can t- be tapered back a little bit um, and, and so on. Um, you may have a family member um, that when you first started a business was part of the company and they were on the books and you were paying them a salary or paying their health benefits or their mortgages and so on. Like those things have to be added back. If the family member is not in the business, we add that back. Um, so yeah, Clean financials, understandable financials um, that buyers can relate to is number one. The I don't think we stop there if we go to the other. Yeah, yeah. Before you go on to number two, I just wanted to obviously I'm going to agree with you. Uh, you know, clean financials are important, and some of our listeners might be saying, "Well, that's kind of obvious." Uh, but you know, if you don't have clean financials, not only do you have a lot of explaining to do to a prospective buyer, uh, but I also think it's a red flag for them as to, well, if your financials are not in order, if these aren't right, what else is wrong, right? And that leads to even bigger questions. So all that stuff's going to come out during the due diligence process. So yes, buyers should have clean financials. Uh, but I also want to tie it back to uh, the listeners that maybe aren't ready to sell. There's other benefits to having clean financials while you're owning and operating the business. And I would say the major reason is, you know, you, your 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 management team, your CFO, if you have one, are going to hopefully use those financials to help you make decisions down the road, whether it is, uh, do I have enough money to hire a new employee or grow or, you know, buy this uh, building so that I'm not you know renting anymore? All of those things are factors that uh, having a good, clean set of financials will help a business owner while they're owning and operating the business. You made a good point there because when you're considering selling a company, there actually may be an opportunity to grow your company and get a bigger payout down the road. So the only way you can determine whether or not it makes sense to hold and grow, you need projections. And how can you get projections if you don't have financials statements, right? right to project from. Right. Right. So yeah, that's an excellent, um, excellent point. In some some cases, some clients decide, you know, I'm going to hold on because I can actually get more for the company two five years down the road. And that's, again, another plus potentially for a prospective buyer is if you can show them here's a five-year plan for in the, in the financials, that's obviously going to be a plus to a prospective buyer. Yep. Yep. All right. What else you got for us at number well, two? You know, I don't want to segue too much, but um, I do want to get on to the reasons why buyers buy. But since you brought it up, that's a big one. So and I'm just going to address it right now. So. Sure. If you are a, you know, a, you have a landscaping company, you do 2 million, right? And everything is relative, right? 2 million would be a lot of revenue for some people. And some people that's like a really small company, but right. there are not too many businesses that get to the million dollar mark. So you have to pat yourself on the back that you're running a successful right. million dollar company. So you get to two, but at some point, sales do plateau when you need to figure out how you can grow your company. The buyer... What they're paying you for, they're paying you for your historical sales, right? Right. What they're going to get from the business is the potential. So they're like, I love your business. Great opportunity. Uh, You've done a great job here. You've built a solid $2 million landscaping company. 
But guess what? My goal is to get your business to 10. You, Mr. Seller, you've had this business for 20 years, right? If you were 10 years younger, 20 years younger, what would you do to grow your company? Give me that insight. Feed me in because I want to know from day one, I'm not going to change too much what you're doing right now because I want to take some time to understand your business, get acclimated, but I want to grow your business. And um, I'll love for you to actually work with me to grow if you want to stay on for a year or two and let's work together to grow this bad boy. Um, but you know what What can we do to get this to five or 10 million, Mr. Seller? And if you okay. can answer that question, so sitting down and putting together, sitting down with your advisors, mm-hmm. you know, like Alan, and you should have a CFO in your team and some business consultants, put together a business plan. And most importantly, put together a growth plan, right? Um, you don't have to act on everyone if your plan is to exit, but there may be some low-hanging fruit where, you do these one or two things, they could bump up your valuation a little bit. And if you can put that growth plan in front of a buyer, say, hey, right. Mr. Buyer, you know, um, I wasn't intending on selling this business, but I have some health issues that came up. Um, had this not occurred, I would have done this and this would have doubled sales. And you have a blueprint for that. Yeah. Buyer gets excited. The banks get excited and we can fund this deal. So uh, that's very uh, that's a great point you brought up, and it's very important as far as getting deals transacted, having a, a growth plan or some idea of what you're going to do to grow the company. Right. What else do you have for us then? Um, so I believe you were talking about the um, three things, right? So we spoke about getting the business ready. Um, this is it's a huge one. I don't know how much time we have, but uh, one of the other bigger concerns is the the key personnel. Um, you know, sure. right now, and by the time you know, your listeners' views recording is probably still going to have a labor shortage right, right. going on, this, uh, which has been the number one issue and challenge for business owners. So if that's a challenge for business owners, buyers are very concerned about that. So they're, they're buying a company. They want to make sure, okay, who are the key people and um, what can we do to keep them, make them stay with the company? Um, how are you attracting your talent? how you're retaining your talent, how you're training your talent. Um, and then there may be some folks at a company that are, you know, you tell me, um, that are not up to speed or, you know, they're not as competent as you'd have liked. Um, so we can, you know, see how we can either help them get trained or figure some things out there. But ideally, that's actually the number two thing after the financials, you know, um, you know who's coming with the company, right? Um, which is very, very, very important. Um, you know, to keep having skilled key key personnel. Agreed. I actually did this in one of my prior podcasts. I talked about corporate culture, and I think that is the number one reason why people or employees choose to go to work for a company, and in some cases, choose to leave a company. Obviously, if you've got a toxic corporate, you know, yeah. culture, people aren't going to stay. So, you know, that's certainly a great advantage, or reason why you want to make sure your employees are highly motivated, that they're trained properly, because not only is it going to help you operate your business more efficiently during your years of owning it, but obviously it's going to make it that much easier to sell the business when the time comes. Uh, But there's one related thing to that that uh, you reminded me of when you were talking about that, which is more on the business owner than it is the employees, but not only making sure your employees are trained, but that you've got the proper delegation of duty so that you as the business owner are not the indispensable person in that business, right? Because I've said this before, and you know this as well as I do, if a business owner is indispensable to a business, when they leave the business, so does all the value, 
So ideally, a good business owner is going to, over the years as they grow the company, make sure that they've got their senior management team that can run that business without them. So A, they can go maybe go on a vacation from time to time and not yeah. get you know 100 phone calls or emails uh, each day that they're away. But also, again, that's going to make it much easier to sell because a prospective buyer, oftentimes, that's what they want to see. They want to see a management team that can run the business because they don't necessarily want to get involved at the day-to-day level. Yeah. So if I could chime in and add some additional context to this, and um, maybe I could tell another story about a deal sure. that we're working on. Um, a lot of a lot of times, there's a, when, when folks come to us looking to, to sell, it's something that usually triggers triggers that sale. Um, either they've had heard news about you know an ailment or whatever, and I can't continue to carry on this business. Mm-hmm. Partner disputes. Um, having issues running the company and they've lost control of their company. And, and so, so a lot, we hear, we do hear a lot of crazy stories. Um, we were once selling um, this company and um, the owner had passed away and the son, he, luckily the good thing about it, the son knew the business very well. He was, he was in the business for uh, a number of years, but you know, it wasn't something he's really passionate about. And I mentioned this story only because you want to make sure you take inventory of your team and see who, who is loyal, who is not, who is committed, as a point to have good core values and good good mission as far as your purpose and your why you're doing what you're doing, and have a, a complete buy-in. Also, right. making sure you have your contracts in place, non-competes, and so on. In this particular case, the the father he had some special arrangements with one of the key contractors, right? He had special pay arrangements, special territories and so on. And it, it, it created a problem because the buyer could not buy the business with this one key individual in place because, you know, they're going to create some problems. So, you know, actually had to let that person go and he took some business away and ended up having to sell the business for much less. Now, if, the the owner of the business had an exit strategy or exit plan, we could have identified those issues and flagged right. them and get those resolved, either put in some stay agreements, at least get you know some sort of 1099 or some non-competes in place to begin with, uh, with your contractors and short agreements with employees. Um, that, that's a big one. No, no buyer wants to buy a business knowing that the employee is gonna gonna leave and walk away with the business and so on. So um very, very important assessing assessing the staff. Um, Agreed. Um, and w- w- one other big thing is having some, you know, predictable and recurring income. Sure. Um, in the business, so we want to look at the history of the business and how they have generated money, um, and having the buyer be able to at least predict what the next few years are going to look like with with them as the owner. So having some recurring income is another big one as well. Right. That's another one that I've preached often is that you know recurring revenue businesses tend to value higher, and the reason buyers like that is. To your point, uh, the revenue is a bit more predictable. Uh, but another reason why that's important, just while you're running the business, is that also is great when you need to borrow money from a bank. Banks also like, yeah, you know, or any yeah. or any traditional lender is going to like the fact that you've got predominantly recurring revenue as opposed to transactional revenue. So, yeah. an, an an excellent point. And then just quickly going back to your point about 
some of the key personnel and, and non-compete clauses and NDAs and so forth. That's probably a, a, you know an entire podcast in and of itself. Yeah. Uh, but I think that is a good point for our, our listeners: is uh, you know they, as they grow their business, what they can do to make sure they're keeping their senior keep people happy, whether it's, you know, certain benefits to offer them and, and things of that nature to make sure that they stay on board, not just during the operating years, but once they they sell to, to whoever the new owner is. Yeah, I think it's very important to do two things. Um, definitely get some sort of a business assessment. You know, you don't necessarily have to get a full-blown evaluation, but at least once a year, you need to have someone right. do a light assessment of your company to figure out what the value is. Uh, and then also do a, an assessment of your operations um, and of your team and of, of your process. And I think from there, you can figure out what are some things you can fix right now in your company that would enhance right. the value and increase right. the buyer confidence. So getting some sort of evaluation done or a SWOT analysis, um, the growth plan that we discuss, um, and then having someone come in and just you know, break your business down to the to the bare bones and see where the leaks are, where the issues are that that can be addressed. And right. we want to make sure we have those items and uh, reviewed at least so we can respond. Because one of the reasons businesses don't sell because everyone put all this all their skeletons in the closet. When the buyer opens the closet, like, wow, I didn't. I mean, I had some issues that came up this week in a deal I was working on that I wasn't aware of. Uh, I was like, wow, we have to. You know, address this. Um, I'm selling a company that I'm going um, to protect the innocent. Um, essentially, this particular company has a lot of customers. However, majority of those customers come from one particular source. They, they, they use different sources for, for leads. This one source um, generates about 80% of their customers. And this source is a relationship right. with the owner. So, yeah, you have to kind of look at that, that those concentrations and get those addressed. Agreed. I've Definitely. talked about that too. Both a con- you don't want to have a concentrated customer base. Uh, and then obviously, if you're in uh, some kind of manufacturing uh, business or anything where you're dealing with a physical product, you also, on the other end, don't want to have a concentrated supplier base either, right? Because those that can be easily That's detrimental. That's a big one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. So, and then the last thing you had mentioned was no market for the business, which I guess is a little bit sometimes maybe out of the control of the business owner, right? I don't necessarily have control over that. So, I, I, what I think of is, you know, you know, back in the '80s, Blockbuster Video was the place to go to for movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You would rent, you would rent them on VHS tapes, and yeah. then they were able to make the transition when things went to DVDs. But then when things went from DVDs to streaming, basically Blockbuster went away, and Netflix became the predominant player in that market. So is, you know, what can a business owner do to kind of maybe foresee that? I'm, I'm not sure that there's really an answer for that. Yeah, there, there is an answer. Okay. Get out of the bubble. Get out of, the bubble. Get out of your bubble. Um, so here, here's my thoughts on this. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, seek professional advice. Um, but my recommendation, or one of my recommendations is to join your, if you're not already, Get more active in your local trade association. Right. Right. So if you're in a trucking business, you want to join a trucking business association for your, there's different regional ones, international ones, whatever your business is, there's two things you're going to get out of that. You're going to learn best practices. You're going to learn innovations. You can learn what's new in the industry. So you can start planning ahead 
as far as what tweaks you need to do as far as, for example, like um, HVAC companies, right? Um, uh, in, a, in a down economy, people don't have money um, to invest in you know, any disposable income per se, but you need your heat, you right. need your cooling. With that being said, they're probably going to purchase your unit, but they're not really going to pay for the maintenance, the monthly maintenance, okay. right? Um, so we talk about recurrent income. Having a lot of maintenance contracts improves your value. How do you get someone in maintenance contracts that don't have money? We see a lot of companies now that sign up with, have relationships with, with um, credit cards, um, credit card companies where they offer them some sort of a payment plan. So essentially okay. this, they have this program, they offer the clients say, Hey, you know what? Um, you can actually take out a, uh, put together a payment plan. So the credit card company pays the HVAC company and the customers pays every month, which goes to the credit card company. And that can also cover sometimes for the unit. So that's making more affordable um, payment arrangements. Um, so that's one thing that happened in, in recent years. But ideally, that trade associate, number one, is going to give you trends, insights, what's happening. The number two thing that's going to happen with this, there are there's going to be consolidations going on and people talk. So you're going to hear in your association who sold or who was being sold and, you know, be aware of that. And if someone was sold, you can probably get some insight of how it was for them, connect with your other colleagues that are in your business. So, yeah, you have to be top of the trends. Uh, We do have, we at MIBB Group, we do have access to a lot of reports and data that economists write and they give insights. Okay. So uh, I'll be happy to to share that with, with Alan and, he, and his yeah, listening no, audience as well. Yeah. You know, but yeah, you just have to get out the box and you know seek seek assistance and seek help and find out what's happening in your marketplace. Agreed. So that that is great advice. Is you know become active in your local trade association if you aren't already. Uh, so thanks thanks for sharing some of the the main reasons. I know we could probably go on for hours. There's probably a hundred reasons why uh, business are are not successful in selling. Uh, but you know, for the listeners that may be thinking about selling in the near future, you know, what questions should they ask a potential partner, like a business broker, intermediary, in helping them sell their business? So, you know, we have a saying in our business, Alan, that, you know, we believe business is personal. Like, uh, we don't want clients that's coming to us because, hey, we can help them sell. We need to understand the full picture. So you need someone that's compassionate. Right. Um, you need to speak with a broker that's also a business owner. So like myself, I own four companies. All my partners are business owners and we run a business. We've been in business almost right. 20 years. So someone that can relate to your story that has started, purchased, or sold a company um, is is very important because it's, you have to be very empathetic to the situation at, at hand. So the question is, you know, how long you're in business? Um, right. What's your what's your track record? Um, what's your company, you know, philosophy as far as you know, you know how how you operate, so on. Um, what's your expertise in my particular sector? You know, have you sold a lot of plumbing companies? Have you sold a lot of daycares or whatever the case may be? What's your expertise? Um, who else is on your team? So like here at MIBB, it's 11 of us. We'll be 11 deal makers. This doesn't include the staff or anyone else, right. our, you know, employees in our company. And we all have different backgrounds, um, you know, from accounting to manufacturing, distribution, construction, and so on. So we bring a full suite of, um, you know, collectively we have a lot of uh, knowledge 
Uh, and then outside of that, we also have another company called Cornerstone. And with, with that company, just last year, uh, we did over $1.1 billion in deals collectively as a company. So you want to see what resources right. that broker has. So they may not have the resource internally, but see who outside of them, you know, you're going to ask these questions. Um, and then industry certifications are important. Sure. Um, so just for a quick education on the space there, when you look at the, the business for sale marketplace, there are ideally three main sectors. You have the investment banks, you know, the Merrill Lynch's of the world, the Blackstones of the sure. world, and so on. And they're doing the big mega deals. Um, and then you have the business brokerage, uh, which is Main Street. They usually sell businesses up to about $2 million in value. And then in between that, you have the lower mid-market, which is not that clearly defined. And there, there are no real licenses required for that lower okay. mid-market or for business brokerage in particular, um, as far as being FINRA licensed. Right. So one question you want to ask your broker, okay, well, what, what's your education? What's your knowledge? What, what certifications do you have? So I have two certifications that you mentioned early on and so on. And it does help to understand that you have the, the broker has the fundamental knowledge sure. as well as the active deal experience. So those two have to marry together, right? They just can't have the book knowledge, but they have to have the actual deal knowledge. So those are a couple of questions, you know, I would, 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 would ask. Um, no. no, thank you for sharing broker. that. Yeah, no, that, that was great. And yeah, I, I agree with you that it, it helps that, the potential partner uh, is compassionate and has empathy that maybe they've been in your situation before that goes a long way uh, in building a rapport with a prospective client. All right. So before we wrap up, I always like to give our listeners some kind of action item or, or main takeaway. So we, I know we threw a lot at the listeners today, but if there was one thing you would want them to take away or one action item, what would it be? Can I, can I give two? That's okay. Sure, sure. I have to add that additional <laughs> value. So one, a lot of stuff we spoke about, about getting the business ready and so on, like everything we spoke about here, that can be resolved with a business valuation or an assessment. So one action item for, for those of you that are listening um, would be take stock of your company and get some sort of assessment. At, because you, if you don't know where you're at, how are you going to know where you're going to go, right? So you, number one, it's like all of us get medical checkups, right? Once a year, go to our doctor. The same thing, your, your business is its own entity. Uh, once a year, get a checkup for your business, right? Um, my bonus tip, and I alluded to it earlier, um, there's a reason why we have professionals, right? Um, you're a full-time business owner. You want to hire someone that's a full-time CEO, CFO rather, that all they do is analyze numbers, do projections and help run day-to-day financial operations of the company, um, your CPA, attorney, and so on. When you're selling your company, you're going to go through what's called due diligence. You're going to have legal due diligence, right? So there's issues when you, with, with contracts, leases, and, and, and so on, lawsuits, intellectual property, sexual harassment. Like, so you're going to have also financial due diligence, Right, validating numbers. We spoke about before about having your numbers running gap. They're going to do a, a quality of earnings which validates your numbers and so on. Right, um, and then the human capital. Every personnel in your company is going to be evaluated as well. So my advice and my takeaway is seek professionals in those areas. Um, so speak with your attorney. 
to let know you're going through and make sure that your your, your legal right. house is in order. Speak with your CPA or your, your CFO. Make sure your financial stuff is in order. Consult with an HR consultant. There's so many things that are changing right now. And if you know, for those of you that are in New York State, um, the laws keep things to be changing every month, right? So it's issues that you may be non-compliant. And Alan, guess who's the very most important person that I didn't mention that need that needed to talk to? Their CPA. I mentioned the CPA. Okay. The most important, one of the first people you need to speak with is your financial planner, someone like Alan. If you plan on retiring, right? And your CPA, you did evaluation, right? And you believe your business is worth 10 million, 5 million. Would that be enough for your retirement, right? So you have to sit with your plan and figure out maybe after you sell your business, what your lifestyle is going to be and we're going to put your investments and so on, because it's a legacy you have built. You want to make sure that's protected. So um, if any big takeaway, get evaluation done and seek advice from professionals like like Alan and others. Agreed. Agreed. So thank you very much, Kyle. I think we'll leave it there. Uh, I hope everyone got something out of this today. Uh, I'd love to hear your feedback, which you can send to me on my website, uh, as well as if you want to reach out to Kyle, his contact information will be on the website as well, chasingnicholspodcast.com. Once again, thank you for being here, Kyle. It was great chatting with you. Thank you, Alan. Appreciate the opportunity to share with your team, with your, with your, with your listeners. Take care. Thanks. The information contained in this podcast is for general information and educational purposes only. It is not intended as a substitute for legal, commercial, and or financial advice from a licensed professional review. 